One of the best things I ever did for myself was to register for the DNA surprise retreat last year. It was shortly after I found out about my DNA surprise and my ethnicity shift. The retreat was a place of community and friendship and understanding and learning that I was not alone. I learned skills to manage the shock and I was learning to begin to heal. I was so surprised that many people were going through the very same thing or similar circumstances. I was surprised by the empathy and the care that I received. I was surprised in a lot of other good ways. Is there any way you can go to the retreat this year? I can highly recommend it in every way. Let your story begin. Let your healing begin. Whether you just uncovered your DNA surprise or you've been on this journey for a while, the DNA Surprise Retreat is for you. Registration is open now. Join us from September 19th through the 22nd, 2024, just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. You can reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. Technology, DNA, all of this modern tools have been huge in making this stuff happen. So it makes the world from Texas to New York a lot smaller, <laughs> um, a lot a lot quicker to navigate. Imagine spitting into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. One of the things we talk about often within the DNA Surprise community is the ripple effect. Surprises don't just affect NPEs, donor-conceived people, and adoptees. They affect their parents, their children, friends, spouses, and other family members. In this week's episode, Kim shares how she helped uncover the complicated story of her grandma Mary, who had several MPE children. She discusses what steps she took to put the pieces together and how her work has affected her relationship with her dad. Thank you, Kim, for sharing your story. I am Kim, and I'm 42, and I am from uh, South Texas. Uh, My DNA surprise story is probably a little different than some that are on the podcast. It's not surprising that I knew that my dad was adopted. It wasn't hidden from him. He was adopted around the age of eight. So he knew, you know, that he had a a mom and a dad and that he was um, put into foster care and adopted. Uh, And so, of course, I always knew that. None of that was was ever a secret. But as I get through the story, I kind of figure out, a whole lot of things <laughs> weren't really known. Even though you know you're adopted, you don't always know the whole story. So uh, my dad was adopted um, out of East Texas. And um, in 1966, uh, my awesome, awesome grandparents, Richard and Elsie, adopted him 
along with his oldest brother, Steve. They also went on to adopt um, another daughter named Sherry from, from a different family. But all of their kids, they weren't able to have kids of their own, so they adopted from foster care. My grandparents were amazing. Everybody that knew them loved them. Probably the two best people you could have picked to adopt a bunch of kids from foster care. Anyway, so they adopted my dad and my uncle Steve. My dad was eight, almost nine. So he's adopted in June of 66. And uh, on the way home from being adopted uh, in East Texas and, and driving to South Texas, uh, my grandmother said, you have a birthday coming up. Would you like to have a party? And he said, sure. You know, I've, I've never had a birthday party. So he was really excited. He didn't really clarify with her, but evidently this is like my favorite story of, of his adoption or his early years with my grandparents. He evidently went door to door on his own um, up and down his brand new street that he moved into. He was so glad to have a family and he introduced himself and said, hi, I'm Frank. Um, I just got adopted. I have a family here and will you come to my birthday party? And so one day my grandmother got a phone call and she, this woman called her and said, hey, um, did you just adopt a, a boy named Frank? And she said, yes. And she said, well, he's inviting the whole neighborhood to his birthday. <laughs> so my grandmother was like, yes, we're, we will have a party. So it was just a great fit right from the start. And I think that's part of the reason that up until now, nobody had really, really dug in maybe uh, to try and find some of the, the history or the, um, you know, of his birth parents. You don't really want to betray the adoptive parents. And uh, again, none of that was hidden from him. But, you know, even for me, I kind of was like, well, I had wonderful grandparents growing up. Do I really need to know who my biological grandparents were? Anyway, as years went by, uh, my dad, you know, here in South Texas, met my mom, got married very early, um, you know, not long after high school, they got married, had me fairly quickly, and then quickly got divorced. <laughs> I actually don't even remember my parents married. So I, I was uh, under two, I think, when they got divorced. And growing up with divorced parents, um, things are a little strained uh, between me and my dad during the teenage years. And then as I became an adult, they went from strained to even estranged for certain times, we had certain fallings out and would go, you know, year or two or more without talking and then kind of, uh, you know, reunite a little bit. So it was kind of on again, off again relationship with my dad. But one thing that really held the story together, held, held my relationship with my dad together was in my early years of growing up with my dad, um, he took me to church and he shared his faith with me and just basically started my foundation as a believer in Jesus and it stuck with me and it, it helped, you know, to form me and, and really, really had an impact over the years. And it eventually the story kind of comes full circle and see where that, you know, foundation started and where it is now. Uh, so fast forward to 2020, summer of 2020. At that point, I wasn't actually speaking with my dad. I hadn't talked to him for about a year or so. And, um, as everybody knows in the summer of 2020 or, you know, spring of 2020, basically the world stopped turning, yeah. um, you know, everything was shut down for COVID and I discovered podcasts. So I started listening to some, I was referred to a, a cool podcast called Unashamed. The Robertson family from Duck Dynasty mm -hmm. is, uh, runs that podcast and it was just, it was a God thing. But one of the first episodes I listened to was... A story about um, Phil Robertson, the the founder of, of Duck Commander, 
he, through DNA, figured out that he had a daughter that he didn't know about. And um, he admits and, and is very open with, you know, he was a running around on his wife, Miss Kay, eventually finds out that through that running around time, a daughter came out of that. And their story of redeeming that relationship that Phil and Miss Kay were reconciled and um, Miss Kay accepting the daughter that her husband had, you know, while having an affair just really resonated with me. And I was like, wow, that, that is an awesome story. And it got me thinking, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know my grandparents, this DNA stuff. I, of course I'm 42. I'm not ancient. I know a little bit about technology, but I was like, okay, well they use DNA to solve crimes. I didn't realize they were using it so much to find people. I knew that people stumbled upon surprises, but I was like, wow, okay, well maybe I can use this to find, you know, who my grandparents were. I knew going into this uh, that my dad had actually gone to physically look at courthouse records from uh, Beaumont was the town that he was adopted out of. And, you know, he went there in the 90s, didn't have a lot of luck trying to find physical records. The only thing that I knew was my grandparents, my biological grandparents' names, and we'll call them Grandma Mary. She also went by Marion, but Mary, Grandma Mary, and her husband, who was referred to as my grandfather, uh, went by nickname of Lucky. So we'll call him Lucky, Grandpa Lucky. I'm just wondering, what kind of drew you or made you curious to find your biological grandparents? It sounds like you had a great relationship with your adoptive grandparents, the ones who adopted your dad. Was it something that you were always curious about? Or um, did listening to that podcast really spur, hey, maybe I could find these people? How, how did that come up? A little bit of both. Um, curiosity always, you know, when you go to the doctor and you fill out paperwork and you're, you know, dad's side of the family. And I'm like, I don't know their medical. I don't know what runs in the family because I don't know, you know, <laughs> right. any of that side of the family. So there always was a little curiosity and always just kind of like, hmm, you know, you look in the mirror and it's like, well, do I, you know, I, do I look like somebody else on that side of the family. I, I look a lot like my dad. So I'm like, okay, you know, where, where did the, where did the looks come in? So curiosity was there, but that actual shove to go, Hey, you can actually find something out, you know, knowing my dad had physically gone and looked before and, and we just didn't know a whole lot was just kind of like, okay, well that we just don't know. Mm -hmm. But hearing that podcast and I was like, ah, oh, DNA, let's give it a shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just seemed like a more modern approach to researching and genealogy and digging uh, rather than than going and looking at like physical courthouse records and obviously anybody who's done this DNA and, and genealogy research knows that names that are on records are not always <laughs> correct you know mm -hmm. people are listed as fathers and that doesn't turn out to be correct so really it was I guess the combination of curiosity and you know a spark from from hearing somebody else's story was like yeah this this is possible in this day and age mm-hmm I went on to Ancestry.com, ordered a test. I was like, okay, here goes nothing, um, just to see what came up. And however long it takes to get your results back, I, it wasn't like, a, oh my gosh, I have to know right this second because, you know, it's already been at that time 40 years. So, right. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, wasn't a huge rush, but of course I was excited. You know, your results are in. Okay, great. Click on it. My very first match is my mom. She was already had already tested on there, which made it very easy to kind of sort through mom's side, dad's side. Next match was my aunt Jeanette. Um, of course, I didn't know she was my aunt. I just saw this very close match. I mean, next one right behind my mom, and I 
knew nothing. I hadn't been on any ancestry groups or DNA groups. I, I did everything wrong, <laughs> but it ended up being great. Um, you know, I didn't screenshot anything. I didn't research anything. I instantly sent her a message and said, Hey, I'm Kim. My dad's Frank. And this is the story. Who are you? And I, I, I was like, okay, well, I didn't know how long it would be until she would reply. So I started digging with what I knew. I knew my grandmother's name, Mary, uh, married to Lucky. I thought, okay, well, let's just start from there. Well, very quickly, I found a lot of records uh, for her. Uh, the first one that was really striking was some social security information that had like six different last names listed. And I was like, wow, okay, Grandma Mary was married a lot. So who was this lady? Why did she end up having her kids in foster care? You know, I was really curious. And then looking for Lucky's side, there wasn't anything. I was the name that Lucky's last name was nowhere to be about be found, no associations with that. So I was just like, I really don't know who he is. I don't, I don't really know what's going on there. So I just kind of focused on Grandma Mary at first. Again, I still at this point wasn't talking to my dad or had, hadn't spoken to him like over a year. So I knew going into this, okay, I have these results. I'm researching my grandmother and I know a bit of the background just from what my dad had told me. And he hadn't really shared every single thing with me growing up about his childhood. But what I did know was that growing up in East Texas, Grandma Mary and Lucky were heavy drinkers, drunk a lot. Uh, Lucky worked out of town a lot and Grandma Mary brought men back to the house frequently. Uh, she was known in that time and in, in the fifth, late fifties, early sixties, she was known as a rounder, evidently a woman who got around. Mm. And so my dad was, that's just kind of what he knew about her. And he did remember her leaving them, him and he has uh, brothers that he grew up with. So he remembers um, his brother, his oldest brother, Steve, uh, his next older brother, Danny, and him. Um, his sister, this is going to be another, Grandma Mary liked the name Marion Marians. It's going to come up a lot. <laughs> we'll refer to his sister as Marion Gale. So it was Steve, Danny, Marion Gale, Frank, and Robert. So there's these five kids. They're left alone a lot. And eventually, you know, Grandma Mary has men over and Grandma Mary leaves for periods of time. Well, eventually he remembers her very vividly packing a bag, walking out the front door and getting into a car with a man. And he never saw her again to this day. And that had a big impact on him, obviously. Um, when Lucky got home and the kids were there by themselves, he really didn't know what to do. And so he tried to hire a babysitter that didn't work out. And basically the kids were left completely alone. They lived in a rented house. And when the landlord came to collect the rent, he figured out, you know, there's just kids here, where's an adult? And they didn't have any money to pay the rent. And so she had left a fake fur stole uh, in the closet and they, you know, being kids and thinking maybe this is worth something, offered it to the landlord as, as rent. And he was like, yeah, that's not going to work. And he called Child Protective Services and they were picked up and taken into foster care. So I, I knew, you know, the, that she had abandoned them. So I knew, I knew that part of her history and part of their history. The kids were separated in foster care for whatever reason. I, I guess today, they, I think they try and keep kids together. I don't know if they did that as much in the 50s or 60s, um, but 
they ended up keeping my dad and my uncle Steve together, his oldest brother. His two other brothers, Danny and Robert, were taken separately into foster care. Um, at this point, Mary and Gail uh, had passed away. Again, part of the neglect. Um, they were in a car ride, uh, a road trip, and my dad was four. Mary and Gail was five. They were in the back seat of the car. And he was explaining to Grandma Mary, you know, she's really sick. She, you know, and it, this is the age of four. Like my sister's sick. Mm -hmm. It's not just she has a cold. Something's very wrong with her. And so he talked Grandma Mary into pulling over. She pulled into a hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Mary and Gail promptly died in in that hospital. She had encephalitis. Wow. So you know, they yeah, they had been through a lot. They the four boys had been taken into foster care. They eventually were all adopted. The Adoptive parents were made aware, CPS, I guess, made them aware, like, hey, you were adopting one child, or in the case of my grandparents, you're adopting two boys, but they have brothers. And so the, all of the adoptive parents knew of each other, and they all lived in Texas, and they all, over the years, made it a point to get the boys together. So my dad and his other brothers still kept in touch, even though they weren't adopted together and didn't live together. Hmm. So that was really cool. I've seen some cool pictures of them growing up. So, so this, you know, just kind of went through stuff that I'm seeing about my grandma, Mary, you know, um, ancestry documents, social security, you know, birth certificates, this and that. And I was like, wow, okay, she's, she's got a lot going on. Well, very quickly, I want to say within a day or two, my aunt Jeanette replies, she was ecstatic. She just was on cloud nine. And she said, I knew we had brothers. And I was like, what <laughs> you had brothers. And she said, we knew um, she said, we, we were told that we had brothers in Texas and she said, I've looked, I I've tried, I tried to find the brothers, but I never could find them. And she said, she actually spoke with my grandmother while she was on her deathbed and said, what did you do with the boys? You told us we had brothers, what happened to them? And she would never tell. So Jeanette just, she never knew what, you know, she's like, I was told I had brothers. She believed that they were alive, mm -hmm. but she never knew how to find them. She didn't know their names. She didn't know what happened to them. And Grandma Mary wouldn't say. Needless to say, Jeanette was beside herself that the brothers, the brothers have been found. How are they? How many are there? You know what? So basically I was filling her in on this is, this is the, the life in Texas. Where are you? And she was like, I'm in New York. It was like, what? Yeah, a little far away. <laughs> um, sorry, how did, yeah, how did she get from New York to Texas? And Jeanette said, and there's sisters, there's sisters that, that are here in New York. So Jeanette filled me in on her side of the story. So Grandma Mary had quite a story before she even had my dad and his brothers and, and his sister here. So it turns out Grandma Mary had three daughters in New York. And these girls are older? Yes. Yes. This is her first. I call their children batches of children. So Grandma Mary was born in a certain area of New York and she was pregnant at 16. And she with my Aunt Marianne, <laughs> again, more Mary, my Aunt Marianne, pregnant with Marianne. And she uh, married a man named Armando. We're not sure if she knew that Armando was the father of the kids. Just, you know, we'll, we'll go into her history of all the fathers. But she ended up marrying Armando. Uh, she had Marianne. She had my Aunt Lynn. And she had my Aunt Jeanette. And so Jeanette, Aunt Jeanette just starts telling her story. And her story sounds so much like 
the story of what happened to my dad and his brothers. Grandma Mary had left the girls. Marianne was maybe four and Jeanette was a baby. And Grandma Mary would leave them. They, at this point, were living in the Bronx, New York. She would leave them. She would go to bars during the day. If Armando was at work, she was gone out with men. She would leave them again with no food, leaving very young children to take care of even younger children. At one point, they remember being left for quite a long time and Grandma Mary never came back. And the story that they heard from their dad, Armando, was that their mom ran off with a Texan she met at a bar. We're like, okay, so this is how we get from New York to Texas. Uh. So the girls had thought, okay, well, she went immediately to Texas. She left with the Texan and she left the state, but she didn't. She was living in the Bronx. She made her way to Manhattan with Lucky, the Texan. She had my Uncle Steve in Manhattan. She had my Uncle Danny in Brooklyn. She had my Aunt Marion Gale in the Bronx. She becomes pregnant with my dad, and that's when they make their way to Texas. Eventually, they're settled in East Texas, and she has her last child that we know of, Robert. So this is eight kids. So we hear my dad's story, Jeanette's story. She has eight kids. I was like, okay, I have to tell my dad, first of all, that I found he has a sister. You know, I haven't spoken to him in a year, but we're putting all these pieces together. And I sent my dad a message. I don't really know what he thought about it. because I mean, I think he was pretty surprised. I'm assuming he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, like what um, you know, he was pretty sounded pretty floored just because that probably wasn't, he wasn't expecting to hear from me and he wasn't expecting to hear about his sisters, you know, that, that any, that there were any, their childhood was really chaotic as you can imagine. So he wasn't really sure a lot about the history. Yeah. Did he, so you mentioned that he kind of did a little bit of his own digging to try to find her and his father earlier. What were his feelings about his parents? Has he shared those with you, um, you know, obviously he was curious to find, so. Yes, he has. I think it's been a process uh, coming from a traumatic childhood like that into a really welcoming, loving home, and then kind of processing what you've been through, you know, what the way people were, what your memories. He was very open. I remember being in church when I was young, and he shared his testimony about going through foster care and, and some of the the bad experiences there, you know, I'm sure there could have been a, a lot of resentment there, anger, um, hurt, you know, um, about being abandoned, being left in foster care and, and, and things not going great there. But he never seemed super angry or resentful. I think luckily by the grace of God, just, just landing in the lap of my grandparents, my adoptive grandparents, and just, he always just seemed to be more thankful for what he had rather than being angry for what he didn't. He um, is pretty well adjusted from <laughs> the whole thing, if you can think of it that way. Yeah. What were, what were your thoughts about your grandma, Mary, as you're learning all of this about her? I know he had told you his story. Then you find an aunt. Like, what were your, your thoughts? Because you were curious about, about connecting. Yeah. Yeah, my thoughts were at first, lady, what in the world were you doing? <laughs> just, you know, I just thought what, at first I just thought, well, she was just a terrible mom. You know, you have a batch of three kids and you leave them. You have a batch of five kids, one dies and then you leave them. Like what, what, what 
why? Why are you doing this? I'm a generation removed from it. So it didn't happen to me, Mm -hmm. but I have got to talk to my cousins um, through my newfound aunts, uh, my uncles, that there's, you know, generational trauma that can come out of this. And their their stories are their stories to tell. My my aunts and uncles, again, were they were all abandoned. Some of them were adopted, you know, different situations. And they have their own yeah. life after that. But um, listening to, to my cousins and talking about our parents, our parents' generation, like all of the kids that were left by Grandma Mary, were like, wow, we now can see why our parents maybe did things the way they did things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it gave all of us, I think, a huge perspective on forgiveness and grace. And, you know, if my parent wasn't a perfect parent, well, maybe there's a reason, you know, like cut them some slack. They've been through a lot, (laughs) you know, just hearing this and realizing, wow, this, you know, they, they've been through a lot. This was, this was pretty rotten childhood, you know, that, that none of them asked for. Yeah. Yeah, I was, even though it didn't happen to you, it's really interesting to hear how it trickles down the, the generational trauma. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. For sure. So we're seeing that, you know, play out over time, just seeing, you know, ultimately looking at the generational trauma, the ripple effect of, you know, what she did and how it affected my, my dad and his siblings um, you know, how their parenting might have been different with us because of what they'd been through gave me just a big perspective. Like, whoa, like, okay, I am forgiving my dad for anything that I may have seen as as a deficiency or a slight, you know, over the years. And I'm forgiving Grandma Mary. Um, I don't know what her childhood was like that made her, you know, or right. may have contributed to her making these decisions. So I, you know, looking back, it, it's, easy to be uh, critical and judgmental, but I think a lot of us going through this and figuring this out have a little more grace now. Um, and, and it doesn't make everything that she did right, obviously, but moving forward, we, you know, it's like, well, you can be bitter about this or you can process it and and give it to God and move on. So I think that's definitely what, what at least I know my dad has done and, and what I've done with it. Yeah. We learn, you know, Grandma Mary's story, which was really chaotic. Um, but again, where's Lucky? Yes. <laughs> we have all these kids now. We have eight kids and nothing, at least for my dad, shows that Lucky is his dad. So I start putting on my DNA match genealogy hat and start digging. So I've never done any of this before, but by golly, I was going to figure it out. I didn't know anything about the leads method or anything like that. I just start clicking shared matches, making lists, stacks of paper. I, of course, not knowing anything, instantly start messaging cousins, first or half first cousins, half second cousins on my grandfather's side. Again, this is supposed to be lucky. It's, we figured out it's not. Uh, I was very fortunate to stumble upon um, or be in touch with uh, two in particular cousins on my grandfather's side who were kind of the family historians. They had crazy trees. They uh, were super helpful. They were like, okay, we, we're, we're in. We obviously were related to you. Let's do this. So I reached out to my dad. I told him all this and he said, well, I'm going to test too. I said, you know, it would help if you tested because you're one generation closer to your father and, you know, we'll maybe show us a little bit more, a little, a little clearer if you test too. So talking with these 
cousins on grandpa's side, you know, I, I'm looking, they're looking, and we kind of have it nailed down to a couple brothers. And I name off one brother and they're like, no, he was just, that's probably not him. <laughs> he just wouldn't be the fella. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about this other brother, Ross? And they're like, that's your, that's your man. And so I was like, oh boy, okay. Evidently, Grandpa Ross was a rounder as well. So they, it was, I was like, wow, I've heard this word before (laughs) used for Grandma Mary. Thought, okay. So um, these really awesome cousins said, hey, we actually know Ross's daughter. He has a living daughter who, if we're correct, will be your aunt, your dad's sister. We're going to reach out to her, let her know what, what we've seen here through DNA and see, give her your information and see if she's interested in talking to you. Pretty quickly, my new Aunt Linda messaged and said, I'm Linda. My dad was Ross. I'm not surprised if a child came out of the woodwork. Our dad liked the ladies and there was a time when he was running around. I said, okay. Hmm. So Linda tested and of course she's my dad's half-sister. Through that, my dad figured out that on Grandpa Ross's side, he had six siblings. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, they were, um, most of them passed away. Actually, several of them passed away right before we did this DNA testing. So he didn't get to meet them, but he did get in touch with, with his sister, Linda. Uh, which has been amazing. She just really didn't bat an eye and was super welcoming to me and my dad. And the coolest thing she said was, and I said, okay, so I guess I'm your half niece. And she said, I don't work in halves. You're my niece. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, that's good to hear. Yeah. So word gets out through my dad's brothers and sisters that, hey, Lucky is Lucky is listed on five birth certificates for five of the kids. So far, He's not Frank's dad. So they all are like, okay, well, we want to see if he's our dad. So they all start testing. And it kind of was a domino. So the first one to test was my uncle Danny. And we feel like it's Maury Povich sometimes where we go, you are not the father. Um, Lucky was not his father. Mm -hmm. He actually was born in Brooklyn and uh, to one of two brothers in Brooklyn that we've narrowed it down to. Mm. Next to test was my uncle Steve's daughter. My uncle Steve passed away about 12 years ago. And his daughter, though, wanted to know, okay, well, who was my grandfather? So uh, she tested uh, and figured out Steve's dad was a man from Florida who lived in Brooklyn for a time. (laughs) Steve's was by far the hardest to figure out. Um, I figured some of these cases... I've looked and you can just tell by a couple trees, like you're from this family and this family and you just go down the line and oh, there they are. Steve's took me a couple months in stacks of paper to figure out, but figured him out. Next, my aunt Marianne, her, my grandma Mary's very first daughter, very first child um, in New York. She was like, I, I always thought Armando, who was I grew up with as my father, I always thought that he wasn't my father. I look different than my sister's. So she tested and she was correct. Armando was not her dad. Figured out her dad was, um, this is again, when Grandma Mary was 16. Her dad was a man who lived a couple blocks away uh, from where Grandma Mary lived with her parents. And so she got pregnant at 16. Um, Again, with all of these different men, all these different fathers, we don't know if she knew who exactly the fathers were, if they could have been Lucky's or they could have been Armando's. Or if she was just trying, she knew it wasn't and she was trying to pin it on somebody. Right. We don't know. We, you know, we looking back, we 
we don't know what her choices were, what, what she knew or what, what was going on back in the 1950s and 60s. Birth control for women was not what it is today. Right. Also, women probably weren't as aware of, you know, at what time do you get pregnant? How long until you figure out you're pregnant? And so she may truly have not have known, you know, yeah. uh, which one was the dad, you know, so, so um, don't want to paint her with a worse brush than it already is. So, Marion does figures out her test. We did figure out, of course, my aunt Jeanette was already on ancestry and um, the daughter of my aunt Lynn, my aunt Lynn passed away years ago, but her daughter was, was on ancestry. And we figured out that Armando actually was, yay, finally <laughs> was the father of Lynn and Jeanette. So we're like, wow, one, at least, or at least two kids have the actual correct dad on the birth certificate, two of the eight. So we're like, woo, progress. It was just kind of a lot of sorting out of, of whose dad is whose. The tree that I have for Grandma Mary, I l literally named it the Twisted Tree because it's it's such a mess. So the last test was Robert, uh, the youngest kid. And again, his dad is a man that was <laughs> from North Carolina living in East Texas at the time that Grandma Mary was. So, you know, um, the only person we'll never know, obviously, is my Aunt Marion Gale that died in childhood. So... We, we'll, we'll leave her as luckies since that's what on her, was on her birth certificate yeah. and um, just kind of leave it at that and just be at peace not, not knowing that one. So all the aunts and uncles that up to today, um, they at least have some answers. They know what they went through. They know basically who their fathers are. Again, they're, um, you know, sometimes when it comes down to two brothers and none of them had children, it's... You, can't really ever tell but you know they they have some closure they have some answers they're all on their own level or, or, or journey of processing right because we're looking at six out of eight potentially NPEs I mean they're they're all NPEs so yes six out of eight NPEs I think it's helped them to get a fuller picture of where they came from has your dad really had an opportunity to connect like deeply with his sisters that were found? Yeah, he did. He did. I feel like my dad was the luckiest one out of all of the siblings in that he has got to meet family on both sides. Um, so my Aunt Linda from my grandpa Ross, she invited my dad up north and not not too far from where my aunts Marianne and Jeanette live. And Linda said, we want you to come up. I want you to meet my kids. want you to meet, you know, I'm your sister. I want to meet my brother. And my dad was like, absolutely. So my dad and my stepmom went and made a nice long trip of going up to meet Linda, meet Jeanette, meet Marianne. And it was a fantastic trip. We actually have a group message <laughs> with um, with my Aunt Jeanette and my Aunt Marianne and my cousins on that side and my dad. And so we just, you know, send each other funny stuff, pictures of the kids, just kind of like figuring out a life with them now, you know, like here, guess what? I have this many kids. This is what, <laughs> this is what I do for work, you know? And so we're just, you know, kind of day-to-day life, funny, you know, send a meme, <laughs> yeah. um, just kind of whatever we're up to. So it's technology for sure has changed what used to, you know, people would send a letter and say, Hey, I, you know, your long lost family member. Now we have like a Facebook group message right. going so right. we can just kind of contact anytime. You mentioned that when you started this quest, you, you wanted to learn more about your genetic 
history. And you since learned that who you thought was your biological grandfather was not. What have you learned? Have you gotten any answers to any of those questions about, you know, where your eyes come from or any of those kinds of things? Well, sort of um, looking. Okay. So I had one picture of my grandmother that I had ever seen before this. And it was it was actually, it was old. It was folded in half. And there was, so there was a line near her face. So it was kind of really hard to get any detail there, but she was kind of doing the side eye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh, great, judgy side eye. That's me. (laughs) So my dad had said, I've seen that look on you. I was like, great. This this is where I get the, you know, the hmm, perturbed look or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could kind of see myself there. And my grandpa Ross, um, I've seen a couple pictures now, um, just in, in, my mom comes into play too. So I have light hair. My grandpa Ross has really dark hair. Um, I don't see tons of family resemblance there. Um, but my dad is dark hair and, and, and um, is a little bit shorter. It definitely lines up with, with his dad. The weird thing, you know, only seeing one picture of your grandmother ever and looking to see like, do I look like her? I do. Um, you know, looking at that one young picture that was folded, I was like, I can kind of see it. Sadly, weirdly, The picture of her obituary when she was an old lady, I was like, that is exactly what I'm going to look like as an old woman. Wow. (laughs) She, she, her forehead, her eyes, her cheekbones. I was fortunate enough to kind of after all the dust settled and, you know, getting in touch with biological people, I was like, what happened to grandma after, after she left the girls, after she left the boys? Again, going back to her social security, I was like, there's a lot of names here that I still don't recognize her married names. So figured out that after she left the boys, she married three more men. Mm. <laughs> we don't think any children came out of those relationships, but we, with Grandma Mary can never be too sure. One cool thing was looking at her obituary. Of course, you see people's names that you know survived by. And I reached out to a family of one of the men that she married. And I was like, hey, my grandma was married to your grandfather when she died and what do what do you remember about her well so I got in touch with a girl named Sarah she's of course not biologically related to me but she was basically grandmothered by my grandmother that I never knew so I explained the story to Sarah and she was just floored and she was like I never knew that she had kids she never talked about having kids I was like well she had eight and she mm. said, yeah, no, we didn't know that. She never said anything about having kids. And Sarah said, granted, I was young um, when she was a grandmother, step-grandmother to me. But she said, you know, her history of, of drinking and leaving people, she said, I've never seen her have a drink. She was very grandmotherly. She said she would play with us and make sandwiches and just basically be a grandmother, which was kind of weird to hear just because I'm like, wow, you've left all of these kids, you've never known me as a granddaughter, but you're grandmothering kids that weren't even your own. So it was kind of bittersweet that I was glad to see that she, at some point in her life, settled down yeah. and, and, and could maybe take on that motherly or grandmotherly role. But it was also weird that it was like, but you didn't do that for me. You didn't do that for my cousins. You know, like you, you weren't a grandmother to us. So it was, there's a little juxtaposition kind of you know thought like well what why why them and and not us you know but again I have to take a step back I don't know what her headspace was I don't know what you know 
again, like I'm glad that it sounds like at some point she settled down, maybe got her life on track and maybe took some responsibility for the people around her. So Sarah offered me up. She said, Hey, I have pictures of her, but I'm, I'm afraid to send them to you. I don't want your feelings to be hurt. She said, I have pictures of me and her brothers just cuddled up next to my grandma. And I said, no, you send them. It's not, you know, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's, it's kind of interesting to see her in that light, you know, cause I haven't really thought of her that way and haven't seen her that way. So she sent pictures to me. And um, again, with our Facebook group messenger, I said, Hey dad, Hey aunts, Hey, you know, Hey uncles, which is, does anybody want to see these pictures? You know, what I found was after, you know, cause they, they were curious too. What did she do after she left us all? Mm-hmm. Like, will it hurt y'all to see, see her mothering, grandmothering, you know, whatever um, kids. And they were like, no, we, we want to see. And they, they were curious and, and like, okay, well, that's what she looked like as she was older. Um, you know, cause I'm sure their memories were very foggy being that they were so young when she left. And of course she looked a lot different. Um, they were glad to have them, but also still, they were like, yeah, that she wasn't that to my kids, though, you know, and she yeah. wasn't really a, a mother to me. So it, it was kind of a weird closure. You mentioned that one of your aunts um, talked to your grandma Mary on her deathbed. How did they connect? Okay, so that's what, again, so twisted story, weird scenario. So grandma left with with Lucky, but... Over the years, Jeanette and Marianne um, did say that she would keep in touch. Her Grandma Mary's parents were still in New York. She did, not often. I know that they physically saw her once, twice, maybe, after she left. And that's how, and they knew that they, she told them you have brothers in Texas, but she was never a constant presence in their life. Whenever she showed up, it was very jarring. Why are you here? I haven't seen you in however, you know, however many years. Um, it, it was obviously very strained. Um, and, and so they did have contact with her. I guess they had phone numbers for her, um, but she never really would share about the brothers. She just, this is my life down here. She would somewhat keep in touch with them, but the boys, my dad for sure, Robert for sure, um, Steve and Danny were a little bit older, but still like three when they left New York. They don't remit their, like we never, they didn't go see their sisters. They didn't, that wasn't something that they knew of. My dad said at some point, he was very little. He said he saw a black and white picture with three little girls in it. She said, oh, those are your sisters. Never said anything again never mentioned them, never talked about them. He kind of wrote it off as, again, with quite a traumatic childhood, wrote it off as mom's drunk and weird. I don't even know what this picture is about. He was very little. He said, honestly, it wasn't like a thing like, oh, I have these three sisters I need to look for. they, They weren't a part of the boy's life. She didn't discuss, you know, oh, your sisters, you know, so they were very much kept separate Right. And of course, they were then taken by CPS. So yes. th- she couldn't drop in on them. Right. How has this experience transformed your relationship with your father? Uh, big time. <laughs> I can see that's really kind of my big takeaway from the whole thing is I can see um, where God was at work from Grandma Mary's first pregnancy till today. Just, I can see where a mess of 
situations, circumstances that, you know, bad circumstance after bad circumstance, bad decision after bad decision, things just that mount up that seem like, wow, this is awful. I see how God can take that, turn it on its head and redeem it and turn it into something good. Looking at that, I'm like, wow, I went through quite a period of my life where I was in and out of touch with my dad and uh, very strained. And I had a lot of unforgiveness um, just for my personal reasons. Um, nothing nearly, nothing no, nothing abusive, nothing traumatic, anything like that. But my, my own just, you know, personal grievances, um, d- different things um, that I had held on to over the years. And seeing this, seeing God at work through all this, it was like, wow, Kim, you have been holding on to a grudge, you know, here. And you have to take a step back and, you know, give grace to people. So I guess just just learning to forgive my grandma, learning to forgive my dad, um, asking for forgiveness for myself. It's opened up the door to um, a lot of forgiveness between me and my dad. We don't talk every single day or anything like that, but um, we, we do, you know, keep in touch um, much more than we used to sharing about you know about my kids and what they're up to and just just being in touch with him now isn't strained anymore um you know you don't make up for you know many many years of history of being strained and you know overnight but it just seems more natural and easier whenever you kind of let go of of some of the some of the hurts and and move forward and forgive yeah yeah, yeah. Really so wonderful. it's definitely been super um super productive and healing. Yeah. I've just seen God at work and seen, um, seen relationships get mended and things kind of come full circle from listening to a podcast about an NPE to figuring out my own dad's NPE story and ending up on a podcast. <laughs> um, it's kind of goes back to back to these podcasts. I have to ask, um, what advice would you give Someone like your grandma, Mary, who was holding on to some level of secrets from her children. (laughs) Um, Through this process and also just through other people that I've talked to, you know, NPEs, family secrets, this, that, and the other, uh, I think letting go of the secret, the shame is very freeing. I can't speak for Grandma Mary. Obviously, she never really let go of her secret. But I would, I would say, if you are hiding something like this, like if 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 you finally just say, okay, I'll you know I'll share now. I think they might be surprised that people are more accepting than you'd think. People probably hide some of these secrets or bad decisions because they're afraid, because they're ashamed. Um, but I, I think getting that weight off your chest, getting or getting that heaviness off of you, um, just can really open up. It can really do wonders for for people to let go of of the hiding. Yeah, that's great. And I've never asked this question this way, but because this show is about NPEs, adoptees, donor conceived people, and their families, what advice would you give? for the child of an NPE? Well, I know a lot of actual children from, from NPEs, um, obviously with my dad being an, M- an MPE. I would just say, 
it's your story too. You know, a lot of people's parents passed before this technology became available in, in, but you, you being a child of an MP, you still carry part of that DNA. You still have a history there. It is, it is okay for you to know your story. It is okay to know your family. It, it is okay to do the legwork and find out who your grandparents were. Obviously, with respect to, you know, every, every parent situation is different. I, I completely understand, you know, luckily my father was, I knew he wanted to know these things and he would be on board. If you have a different situation where the parent is not interested, you know, that, that obviously is, is something I haven't dealt with and I don't know that I can speak to that. I, that would be something to discuss with your, your NPE parent. But, you know, if they are, are on board, I, I say go for it. Quite a journey to take with, with your parent who, who doesn't know. Yeah. Go, okay, dad, let me help you figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all of the amazing work that you did to help your father and his siblings learn their truth. Um, I hope things continue to go positively with your dad and all of your newfound family members. Thanks for um, having this platform and, and hosting those of us that, that are in this boat and in this community. Thanks again to Kim for sharing her story. If you have a DNA surprise story that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, please rate review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Until next time.